You may have seen uh, in the news this week uh, that uh, State Trooper Tom Devlin passed away from injuries that he sustained uh, in an accident. Well, he was on duty uh, in an automobile stop a couple years ago. Uh, Trooper Devlin used to sit in this very first pew here with his wife and four kids for many years. He was a friend of many of us, and we uh, pray for the Devlin family for uh, their, in their grief and in their loss, and just praying God's comfort and his peace to them. It's also a reminder to us that every time we gather and worship, there are uh, police and fire and other first responders out there who are working shifts right now uh, to help um, to serve us and to protect us. And uh, we're grateful for, uh, for them and in our ability to gather you know, freely and to worship and um, the good work they do. So let's, let's just pray as we, as we begin. So Father God, we do pray for the Devlin family. We thank you uh, for Tom and his love for you and his desire to, uh, to share your love. And we thank you for his friendship, uh, for his love for his family. And now in this loss, and as a community and as a state, uh, we, we just, um, we thank you for life, but we are... Um, in, in grief, we just pray your comfort, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would all be people who, um, that we don't take anything for granted, Lord. That we would be people who live uh, vigilant lives, who live lives to serve others, and above all else, to know, to love, and to serve you, our Lord and God. You are a God of grace. And we thank you that in life or death, that we are your possession, Lord. So as your people, we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, and we pray that you would be our teacher, and that you would speak to us in this time, and that we would respond in obedience and faith. May it be for your glory, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is our last sermon in this sermon series of, uh, through Ezra and Nehemiah, and uh, it's been a good journey, I think. If, if you've been tracking through this series, you probably have a decent handle on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And you could easily read the, uh, the prophets that wrote at the same time. So the prophets uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all were written during the same time period. Any one of those five books you could go back to and uh, reflect on and pray. And I hope that if you weren't familiar with this part of the history of God's people, that you are now. And that's opened up a whole part of scripture to you. So that's, to me, that's exciting and that's a good thing. If you're not familiar with it, or if you're just visiting today, or you're kind of jumping on board of uh, this kind of this moving train that we're on, um, basically, this is a, these are God's people. The nation of Israel had been uh, destroyed and exiled. They were living in foreign lands, and by the grace of God, they were able to return to their region of Judah, and, and the city of Jerusalem in particular, and rebuild their city, and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city walls, but really rebuild their way of life. They were refocusing as a people who were uh, living under God's law, who were living as a community of people together. And so they're rebuilding a way of life. So last week we left off and there was a big party. They were celebrating the, the completion of the, the physical work and that they were dedicating the walls of the city and there was music and there was vibrant worship and there was choirs singing and we were talking about worship and different expressions of worship and how we might find different ways in our own lives to express praise and worship. 
so, and, and a number of you contacted me, and people let me know what they were, how they were, you know, choosing to maybe expand their worship and in their private life or uh, with others. I did some prayer walking this week. I was out at the Rolling Ridge. We were shooting some video. And we uh, took some time to walk around the perimeter of that area and just pray for whatever God wants to do next week as we go over there to worship together. I see that as a real celebration and a real uh, time of uh, just unity for us as a, as a community, as a, as a local church. So that was fruitful for me, and I, some, uh, some of you have been in touch about what you've been doing. So that's kind of where we left off was this uh, time of, of worship for these people. Now, a little bit of trivia, and you can shut out the answer if you know it. When, when Nehemiah went to go re- help the people rebuild their walls, he asked the king, Artaxerxes, for permission. Do you remember what the king said when he said, can I go and rebuild? How, when are you coming back? It was his, he didn't say yes, he said, when are you going to be back? Because Nehemiah worked for the king. He was the cupbearer of the king. And he was given permission to do this project. The project was done. He went back to Babylon, traveled all the way back to work for the king. So Nehemiah leaves the scene. And sometime later, he asked permission, hey, can I go back to Jerusalem to visit? I just want to see how things are going. And the king gives him permission. Nehemiah goes back to the city. And what does he find? Because he left it. Everything was set up. The walls were built. Celebration and worship. And the priests were doing their job. And the people were being so generous. And then he got back and everything was fine? No. He found people who uh, had really lived lives of compromise. Uh, They were not giving as they should. They were not worshiping as they should. The priests weren't doing their job. They had really assimilated to the, you know, the non-Jewish, the the Gentile populations around them in their way of life. So, you know, you go from being so excited and things being so vibrant to this huge letdown. You know, what happened? And in some ways you could say, well, Nehemiah was a strong leader and Apart from, you know, this good leadership, the people didn't, you know, well, the cat's away, the mice will play. I remember as a teenager, my parents were both educators. They went to a conference in California, and they left me and my sister's home. <laughs> it was not good. Now, in my parents' defense, and I, they're probably, my, my mother or father or both are probably watching right now online, and mom and dad, I am so sorry. You left really good rules and trusted us to make good decisions, and we didn't. And I crashed my dad's car, and there was other. There was a lot of. Th- I'm not going to go into all the stories, but um, mom and dad, I am so sorry. But spiritually, here, I think it's more than just the cats away. You know, Nehemiah. You know, he's no longer there to provide. You know, stability. I don't think that's it. I think spiritually. Jesus put it this way. He described God's word like a farmer scattering seed. And some of the seed you know, grows up quickly, but just doesn't have the root to, to sustain. And it, it dries out. Uh, other, other crop, you know, the seed goes out and it grows up, but it gets choked out by the cares and concern of the world. But there's some seed, the word of God, that some of it goes out and it does take good root. And it produces a good crop. And, and again, Jesus described it another time. He said, if you abide in me, if you, if you stay vitally con- connected to me, like a branch connected to a vine, you're going to bear fruit in your life. But apart from that, nothing. 
And what we're seeing here is it's really just about everyday, ordinary faith. When the party's over, when the big celebration, the big building project was over, how do you sustain just that steady faithfulness to grow, to remain vitally connected to God? And it's about persevering in faith. It's about um, the everyday stuff of life. And it's about sin, quite honestly. It's about Sin can creep in. As people of God, these people had received forgiveness. They had repented of their sins. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are fully um, counted as clean and justified and forgiven completely because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, God looks at you and says, you are not guilty. You are not condemned. And yet... We have this sin nature that's still there. We're still at war. We still struggle with sin. And while we are seeking to be clothed more and more with Christ and put off that old sinful way, it's still there and it can creep in. And it can creep in at times when we don't even notice it. The key here is just recognizing the sin turning from it, repenting, and receiving God's grace again and again and relying on God's grace. So this is for every single person in this room, that nobody is immune from this. Every person of faith is in danger of just slowly losing your passion and slowly losing vigilance and slowly letting sin creep in. And so we want, uh, as we look at this, for God to show us his light. God, let your light shine into my darkness that I might turn again to you. And follow you. So I want to look at four problems that Nehemiah came back to, and sort of four new ways of purity to walk forward in. And they're really all things that we could easily struggle with. The first one is this the first problem was a bad association. So there was a man named Tobiah who ends up living at God's temple. Now, if you've been tracking with us, the name Tobiah, Tobiah is the bad guy who opposed the work of rebuilding. Tobiah is the one who was making fun of them and said, oh, if a little fox walked on the wall, the wall would fall down. That's Tobiah. This is the same Tobiah. He's now he's living in the temple. Nehemiah gets back. How in the world? How in the world did this enemy of God end up living in God's house? He set up a studio apartment and basically a warehouse that was meant to hold God's offerings. And why is that room empty to begin with? And it's one of these kind of head-shaking things. But it turns out that one of the priests was buddies with him. So Tobiah is kind of a bully, kind of a powerful person. But to get in with the bully, you have to give them what they want. And this priest said, hey, why don't you take some space in the temple and, and, and just be there? So Nehemiah shows up. He sees this. He takes all of Tobiah's furniture and all of his stuff. He throws it out the door and throws it. It's like a bad breakup. It's like, take your stuff and here's your toothbrush. And just like everything out the door kicks Tobiah out. And he said, hey, we've got to... Um, you almost see Jesus actually comes on the scene 400 years later. He goes to the exact same place into the temple. And he saw things set up there that did not belong. And Jesus just flipped over the tables and said, this is not what my father's house is for. My father's house is a house of prayer. You've turned it into a marketplace. And, you know, this kind of foreshadows what Jesus does later. But I think the same problem really today 
is bad associations. That we as followers of Jesus Christ can closely associate ourselves with people or with groups that are, are not healthy, that do, that do not honor Christ, that have other priorities. And we, when we associate closely with them, it can really drag us away from our main priority to follow Jesus Christ and to be agents of his kingdom in our world. Uh, it's a very difficult dynamic. Now, for this, with Tobiah, it was very obvious. This guy was an enemy of God. He needed to get kicked out of the temple. For us, when we think about associations in our lives, there's two extremes that we could get pulled to. One extreme is that, is that we isolate. We say, okay, we're Christians. We're, we're going to isolate. We're only going to associate with each other. We're only going to talk with other Christians. We're only going to do business with you know, Christian businesses. We're only going to you know we're only going to do our little thing. We're only going to work with Christian organizations, and it's we isolate. But when we isolate, we lose our effectiveness. We're supposed to be light in a dark world. We're supposed to be salt to bring uh, the seasoning of God's uh, presence to our world, and so we need to associate with other people who, who may not know Christ, because how else will they know him? So isolation's not the answer. But on the other end, we could just associate with everybody and just be like the culture around us, and we become conformed to it. And there's a great danger in that, because we're supposed to be distinct and different than the world around us. So we walk this line of association. And, you know, I, I see... It's, it's very difficult. I, the one place where I see people genuinely trip up on this is politically. And we live in a system, we have like, you know, our country basically a two-party system. And I see Christians who hitch their Christianity to a political party on both sides of the aisle. And what happens when we do that is that you take something very perfect and powerful, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the very perfect kingdom of God that nothing can destroy and you hitch it to a man-made system that's not perfect. That's, it's not capable of holding all of God's kingdom in it. And there's imperfect people. And in whatever side of the aisle you're on, you should feel, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should feel some discomfort with your party's platform or with the character of its leaders or of, of, the, of the way the system is. It's because it's not the church. It is not, um, it's not purely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we... Now, again, we could just disengage, and some Christians choose to completely disengage. I don't think that's the answer. I also don't think it's the answer just to totally say, I am fully connected to this. We need to be faithfully present in this imperfect system, but remember that my primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to his church. My, my primary allegiance is not to some political system that is you know, inevitably going to let me down. I see that um, you know, on an organizational level, uh, you know, we need to be careful of as a church. You know, do I how how do I partner and stand with other churches when they might have different priorities than we do? And then personally, you know, how do you connect yourself to people who you work with, who you live around in your neighborhood? Because there's things that we should stand together on, good causes that we have. You know, we we want to see justice, and we want to see people, you know, hungry people fed, and we want to see. Um, you know, people provided for and children educated. And so we need to work together with our world, but always remaining distinctly Christian and always remembering the priority of Jesus Christ. So this is a very difficult line to walk, but you can see the problem is if I just associate, you know, fully with somebody who doesn't honor Christ, like this Tobiah living in the temple, which is 
again, very obvious, um, you know, that you could see how that could pull you away and, and, and steer you wrong. So that was the first problem, was bad associations. The second problem was about half-hearted worship. Now, again, this is a people who had just come from this vibrant worship and praise of God, and now we see that they're reluctant in their attitudes towards giving. Uh, you know, when we left off, the people fully committed, we're going to support this good work. But then over time, they stopped giving generously. And the priests kind of stopped doing their job the way they were supposed to. And the prophet Malachi, who was writing during this season, he said, uh, Malachi said, you're robbing God if you don't bring uh, you know, your whole tithe, the whole 10% that you're supposed to bring to God. You're robbing God. You're robbing him of what is his, but you're robbing him of the opportunity to bless you. You should be testing God in this, bringing your whole tithe and just seeing how God provides for all your needs. And it wasn't just the money, it was the sacrifices, the people, Malachi describes it, uh, they were supposed to bring um, a you know, pure sacrifice, but they were bringing sick animals and wounded animals as their sacrifice. Like a one-eyed sheep, or you know, with his, his blind on one side, or there was a goat with three legs, and you, know, you go into the temple, and you, know, you get to make your sacrifice. So we're going to bring a goat. Oh, which goat should we bring? You know, oh, well, we're going to kill him anyway. Well, just bring, you know, bring Tripod. He's, he's always kind of just been limping around our house and kind of getting in the way. And God, but God wanted the best of his people. And they're just bringing these filthy, sick animals that are going to die anyway. Um, you know, today, I, I, how does this problem, so we don't bring sacrifices in that way, but you know, we are called to, to give God, our, actually, our whole lives as a living sacrifice. And we can become half-hearted and get a scarcity mindset to say, well, what if God doesn't provide for me? You know, God has never let us down, but, but what if he does? And over time, you know, maybe you look at the you know, economic uncertainty of our world. You, you, maybe investments aren't doing well. And, and you think, well, maybe I'll hold back. And then you hear the words of Jesus where he's at the temple. People are giving all these gifts. And then a widow comes in and she gives just two small coins. And Jesus said she just gave more than everyone else because she gave out of her scarcity. She gave out of her poverty. Everybody else was just given. You know, when things are, when your investments are booming and when things are going great, then yeah, it's easy to, to practice generosity. But he points out specifically her giving out of her poverty. And this isn't just about money. We can get this scarcity mindset where we go about our lives and we just hold back. Um, you know, we don't speak as boldly as we should. We don't invite others to know Jesus as, as we could. We don't serve boldly. We don't forgive boldly. And we withhold service and we withhold forgiveness and we withhold our words. And it's genuinely a matter of faith and ongoing faith to say, God, give me boldness. God, give me courage. Help me to wake up tomorrow with the same fervency that I had when, you know, when we were celebrating this or celebrating that. Like, God, give me that boldness and the joy to, to be courageous. And, and it's about persevering and, and daily, Lord, just being grateful every day. Lord, thank you for the blessings of my life. Lord, I'm in a tough time right now, but you've blessed me with life and you've blessed me with all these things and just showing gratitude and small places of joy. Not the huge party, Again, these people threw a huge party. Dedicate the walls. But it's not always a huge party. Sometimes it's those small, small uh, expressions of gratitude that will help our faith persevere.
to keep us from this half-hearted worship. Third problem. The third problem that Nehemiah came back to was Sabbath breaking. So they were very they were living under the law of Moses, and the Sabbath was one of the commandments. You, you know, you honor the Sabbath day. You don't do any work on the Sabbath day. And they, they were. It was, it's inconvenient. You know, they wanted to keep their businesses going. And there was people who didn't, you know, neighboring peoples who didn't observe Sabbath. They weren't living under the law of Moses. So they wanted to come to the city and sell their fish and sell their goods on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah said, you can't do that. I know it's inconvenient to shut down your business. And I know it's a hassle. But um, I know you don't want to miss out. But you, you've, you've got to follow this. Now, for us today, following the Sabbath is going to look different. Really, following the Old Testament law does look different for us. Um, we don't follow all the ceremonial laws that they followed. We don't follow all the civil laws that this nation had. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. But the moral law we still follow, including the law to observe Sabbath, to designate time as holy to the Lord, to focus on Him. And, you know... Really, following the moral law in Jesus is actually a deeper and more profound thing. For example, the, just think the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is do not murder. And Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said don't murder. I tell you, if you have anger towards somebody, then you've murdered them in your heart. He said, murder is, yes, don't murder, but it's more than that. It's, it's about your heart. And he said, adultery, you know the law says don't commit adultery. He said, but I tell you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. That it's not just about adultery, it's a, it's a condition of the heart. And we can imagine Jesus saying, he, he's not recorded as saying this, but you can imagine Jesus saying, Sabbath, you know, taking a, a time, taking a day to, uh, to not work and to rest from your labors. You know, the, you've, you know that's in the law, but it's a matter of the heart. That Sabbath is a condition of the heart that rests in the completed work of Jesus that isn't always striving to accomplish and striving to achieve, but rests in your status as God's child, forgiven and free. So you don't have to go about your whole life trying to prove yourself through your work, but you can stop and slow down and trust. It's a matter of your heart. And it, Sabbath is such an important concept. We're going to look at, the, look at this a little bit more this, uh, this fall. But... That we, we are people who genuinely realize we are not human doings. I'm not, my value is not because I've accomplished so much in my life. My value comes from the fact that God has chosen me to be his child. That Christ died for me. And that I am secure in that. It's about who I am. Uh, my, uh, I had a, college roommate, his dad, uh, his dad's name was Sterling, Sterling Lopez, passed away about a year ago, I was at his funeral, and the, his, his old pastor was telling the story about how they met. So Sterling's uh, wife was raising uh, three boys, and they were uh, high-energy boys, they were uh, rambunctious little boys, and she knew that these boys needed Jesus, so she would take them to church every week. And she'd sit there, and the boys were all wiggling and kicking the back of the pew and doing the, the church thing. And she's doing everything she can to keep them calm. And the pastor looks out, and he said, oh, this poor woman, single mother with these three boys, and they're so high energy. And he talked to her. He said, how, you know, how can I support you, you know, as a single mom and coming to church? And she said, oh, no, no, I'm not single. I have a husband. Uh, but he's a, he's a picker. He's a, uh, he's, um, a collector. 
And he's at the flea market every Sunday. So Saturday and Sunday, big flea market days, and he's, he's always there. But I know these boys need to come to church. And this pastor felt so bad. He said, you know what? I'm going to get that. His name was Sterling. I'm going to get Sterling to come to church. He shouldn't be at the flea market. He should be with his family. So the pastor actually was having struggles in his own marriage because of his own propensity to collect things. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meet with Sterling and say, hey, how do I sell some of my stuff at a flea market? I want you to show me how to do that. So he met with Sterling. He said, oh, this is great. You know, pastor, I'll show you how to sell your stuff. And he kind of, this is how you do the flea market thing. And he said, but you've got to, you got to, don't do all your bargaining on Saturday. You got to wait till Sunday because people will come back and they really want your stuff. You can make more money. He said, well, I work on Sundays and, and uh, so at the church and your family's there and I'm going to be there and I'd like for you to be there too. And he said, well, I can't because this is how I make money. The pastor said, if you make as much money on a Saturday when I'm with you as you would on a whole weekend, would you come to church? He said, yeah, of course. But I'll never make that kind of money because you make all my money on Sunday. Well, sure enough, the pastor goes out with Sterling and they do their thing on Saturday and they both made a ton of money, as much as Sterling would have made on a whole weekend. And Sterling said, well, I'm a man of my word. You know, I got to go to church. And from that time forward, he never went back to the flea market on a Sunday. He went with his family and raised his boys to know and love Jesus Christ um, and, and became a leader in the church and became a great evangelist and was active in a lot of ministries in, in, uh, in, in his area. And just God really called him out of that. But he had to trust God to provide, to be able to designate time away to worship and to disciple his kids and not just focus on this other thing that he was into. And I loved that story. First of all, because the pastor actually went and reached out and, and really... Um, it was inspiring to me, but to, to know how God, to see how God provided for them as they trusted in that way. And, um, you know, I got to know him later in life and he was just a, you know, fascinating guy and, you know, he's with the Lord now and, and praise God for that. But the solution that Nehemiah came up with, with the Sabbath thing, Nehemiah basically, he just locked the city down. He said, we're going to lock the gates. We're going to put a guard there. No merchants are coming in or going out on the Sabbath. Not going to happen. And they just had to be vigilant and they had to guard their time. And I think for us, if we are not vigilant with our schedule and our time, you know, these, the, you know, focusing on God is one of the things that could easily slip away. The fourth problem was about uh, intermarrying again. It was about compromise to their culture. Compromise to their culture. So just like 30 years before this, Ezra had gone in and they had all these illegal marriages to these foreign people who God had commanded them not to marry. And here, Nehemiah sees it and, you know, here they are again, intermarrying with these people. And the problem wasn't just the marriages, but he said, look, your children can't speak the language. And if your children can't speak Hebrew, they can't learn this law. How are we going to teach them and disciple them to follow this law? And they, they're disconnected culturally from this, and we have an obligation to them to teach them the ways of God. And so the solution was that he rebuked them, he cursed them, and in verse 25, he beat them and pulled out their hair. Um, that sounds harsh. I, I assume it is harsh. Culturally, I'm not sure exactly this like beating and shaming and how this all worked in their day. Um, it doesn't seem that he made them get divorced like Ezra did. But he did make the people vow that they would no longer give their sons and daughters to these foreign peoples. That they would trust God by, by keeping pure. Now today we know 
in Jesus Christ, you know, there is no more you know, Jew or Gentile, male, female, slave or free. That there's, we don't have the, um, the ethnic diversity is, is a beautiful expression of the gospel. So this is not an issue for us today. We could live in a foreign land. You could intermarry with you know, anybody who follows Jesus Christ. But the importance here of remembering the next generation, that there is a battle for the hearts and minds of young people in our world. Now, we are committed to building into them, to always point them to Jesus. And that any sin or any kind of compromise is not okay. That God has called us to be different. That God has called us to be pure. And, you know, speaking, not pulling out each other's hair today, but to speak gently and lovingly, but truthfully to one another, to call us to this holy life. That's why we, we gather and we were in relationships and in small groups to, to keep each other sharp and keep each other focused because it's so easy to drift. So this is where the, the Old Testament ends, right there. Nehemiah pulling out the hair and, and telling him not to marry. And then the, the, the Old Testament ends. Or at the prophet Malachi, same thing, right around this time, just it ends. And then 400 years goes by, not a lot of prophets, not a lot, of, not a lot going on. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And, and in a lot of ways, Ezra and Nehemiah really just foreshadow Jesus, who comes to not just rebuild a city uh, of people who had been exiled, but the ultimate exile of sin, that people who lost in sin, that Jesus is going to rebuild them into a nation of priests, a nation of people who will be holy. And he, he gives his life on the cross, and he rises again to new life to establish his kingdom on earth. And then he goes away. So Nehemiah went away and he came back and it was all this compromise and all this unholiness. Jesus is coming back. And what will he find? In Luke chapter 18, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What will he find? We're going to have this, we're going to have this sin nature that's working in us, but we, we, just, we pray that we would acknowledge it, to repent, find purity again because of the grace of God. Of God. Let us pray. Father, we turn again to you for your grace, Lord, for anything that you put on our hearts that we need to just give to confess and give to you. We give it to you freely. And as, in a moment, as we pray prayers of confession, we just pray, Lord, that we would know your grace in profound and real ways, that you would keep us vigilant, that, that you would help us to live out our faith in the mundane, everyday steps of life to be faithful, to not compromise, that we would be a distinct people, not for, uh, just for our benefit, but also for the benefit of our world. And not just for that, but also for your glory, because you have called us to live this way. So be glorified in our lives and the lives of your people, Lord. We need your grace to, to strengthen us and to help us to persevere. Be glorified, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.